0: Ah, sure. Good day there, and welcome back to your favorite storytelling podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. Uh, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Uh, I like to do accents sometimes. Welcome back. This is Jared, your favorite insider from this wonderful podcast. Thanks for joining us. I am your host with the most... stories about cults. I really probably wouldn't be. I bet there are people with more stories about cults, and I'm going to get off that tangent now. Thanks for coming back. Really appreciate you returning to listen to more of the zany stories that I tell about growing up in the foundation faith of God. Now, the foundation faith of God, if you're a long-time listener, you know this. If you're a new listener, welcome. The foundation faith of God started out as the process church of the final judgment. Uh, which started in the 60s in Oxford, and it may have just been called The Process at the time. I'm really not sure why they'd call themselves The Process Church of the Final Judgment, which has some vaguely Judeo-Christian, mostly Christian overtones to the name, and they really weren't Christian, really, at the time. So I don't know what's up there. I, uh, I might never know. I might sit down with my dad and really kind of pepper him with questions, interrogate him. So it uh, left, uh, left London, left uh, the UK, ended up in the USA in the 70s and 60s and stuff. It morphed and it evolved. Today it is no longer a cult. It's just Best Friends Animal Society doing great things for animals in southern Utah and around the country and maybe the world so far. I don't know. Hey guys, they re- rehabilitated Michael Vick's um, dogs, those pit bulls that he was using in his terrible dog fighting ring. So exciting times. Welcome back. Last time we did episode 14, I Had a Big Problem Part 1. Today's episode is 15, I Had a Big Problem Part 2. The next episode might be 16, I Had a Big Problem Part 3. But we'll see if I can stay focused and really get this done in this episode. Uh, But real quick, the usual business, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you'd like to support this podcast, there's a link that should be either under it or nearby it that you can click on to actually support, much like a patron would of a great sculptor from back back in the day. Now, I sculpt beautiful stories, much like Canova sculpted the Three Muses, which is my favorite sculpture of all time, or the Three Graces. What's wrong with me? The Three Graces, uh, best sculpture in the world. It's in the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. It is just jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Now, if you'd like to, you can support me by clicking on that thing. You could definitely tell your friends, tell your enemies, rate, review, upvote, I don't know, wherever you find this podcast, tell friends, share it with your colleagues and your enemies and those people you want to not get much sleep because they're going to binge it all night, baby. I hope you're doing something safe with your hands while you listen to this. Perhaps you're cooking. Perhaps you're mowing a lawn. It's the middle of winter, Jared. Well, I mean, in part of the world it is at least. Uh, like the northern part. Okay, so enough tangent. I just said I would try not to do tangents. Sorry, I'm terrible. (laughs) Ha! Reach out to me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. Find me on Twitter, just Jared Garrett. Find me on Facebook, Jared Garrett Author. And that's where we'll stop there. We have one question today, which I'm going to feature. Um, It's going to be a short answer. Because this is a really, it's, it's for another another podcast episode. It's a really big, long story. This is from Lori, didn't specify where from. Uh, quote, were you on your, sorry, Yeah, were you on your own when you got out? Yes and no. I discovered later in life, uh, when my wife Anne-Marie and I uh, started fostering a delightful young girl, that I was for all intents and purposes, uh, a foster kid. Uh, in my situation, the way I'd been growing up, the way I ended up when I left, it was sort of a foster situation, even though I did end up living with my dad. Um, for all kinds of technical and legal purposes, I really should have been treated as a foster kid uh, when I started college, but I didn't know any of that, and so there we go. But I was not entirely on my own, no. I had a place to sleep, I had food that I could eat with that I didn't have to pay for myself entirely, although pretty soon I started pay rent, paying rent, if I remember right. Um, because I got a job within just a few weeks of leaving the cult. Uh, but yeah, not entirely on my own. Um, in my mind, I was on my own my whole life, though. So, dramatic pose, dramatic pause. Yeah, anyway, here we go with episode 15, I Had a Big Problem, part two. Now, when we were last talking, I had just finished talking about something really unpleasant that happened to me. I was beaten black and blue by Cyrus. Manuel's father. That's right. I mentioned him again. He gave me permission, guys. Uh, it was in retaliation for me giving Manuel a solid kick to the side. I defended it in last episode and tried to kind of squirrel my way out of things, but I shouldn't have kicked him no matter how light or hard it was. doesn't matter. I shouldn't be kicking people. So, um, I also mentioned that I spent most of my life thereafter until just a few years ago thinking that I was the only one who knew that I had been beaten up by a full-grown adult in his temper. Um, I thought nobody else knew that I that this had happened to me. But it turns out Mark knew, and this came up just a few years ago. Uh, we were sitting around a friend, a friend's fire, another person that we grew up with. She had a nice little fire pit in her backyard. And there were several of us who'd all grown up together, and we were sitting around it talking, uh, as one does. Most everybody was had a beer. I didn't. I don't drink. Uh, I think I had a Coke or something. Um, Diet Coke, maybe? I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe just water. And uh, we were um, just jawing about stuff. and we, As often does, we tend to shoot the breeze about our past. And uh, he mentioned that he knew about the me being beaten, and I was just stunned, floored. And I I was glad to know that he knew, but what an odd situation that is, that you hear one of your peers getting the tar beaten out of him, getting the literal piss being beaten out of him. Um, And you don't go in comfort, even though you know they could use comfort or on some level you should know that. And I certainly don't share it with my peers. I didn't at all. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me to. I didn't share it with any trusted adults because guess what? There were no trusted adults. I can't emphasize that enough. I need to emphasize that regularly because that was the most bizarre, disconnected, and unpleasant part of growing up the way I did. The adults, the authority figures, the people who should have been my comfort, my, the people who gave me love, the people who nurtured me, did not. I didn't trust them because they treated me like an enemy, and so, so did I. I treated them like the adversary and did my best to either stymie them or get out of their way and be invisible all the time. And they certainly didn't mind me being invisible as well as the rest of the kids. So I spent years not knowing that he knew, but he did. I wish I'd known earlier. I think that might've been a little nicer to know that he'd known. Um, It might've helped me deal with it better or maybe even process it better. In any case, Cyrus, I did want to get him back. I wanted to shove him downstairs. I wanted to lay a trap for him. I wanted to like dig a hole. He could break his leg in or something. Um, and I swore, man, I swore to myself I'd get him back. But I never did. But I hated him. I hated him. I wished he would die. I wished he'd get seriously injured. I wished I could find some opportunity to tell everybody and have everybody just look upon him with disgust and rage but so that he could get comeuppance. But I never did. Uh, anger and bitterness at him did fill me for days, weeks afterward. It slowly dissipated. I mean, I was able to still function like a normal person after a little a couple of few days of kind of recovering from the immediate trauma. But I never really spoke many more than a few words to Cyrus thereafter. Um, I mean, we did we did interact sometimes. we had to just by by our circumstances. And um, years later, when I got out of the cult, I ended up in Kanab, which is actually where Best Friends Animal Society is now. It's where the headquarters of the cult was for many years, the same place that Best Friends is. Although, again, all culty is gone. And and Cyrus stayed in the cult. They stayed doing their activities. Then they, then they started taking part in Best Friends activities and being a big part of that, which is really good for them. But they uh, bought a house. I, I think they bought it or maybe they were renting it in downtown Kanab. Ah, <laughs> downtown. Uh, downtown, there's not much of it. But they had a home down there and when I was working my tail off to save money, um, I went around mowing people's lawns and Ann and I got along well enough, I mean we had a history enough that when she heard I was looking for lawns to mow, she said I could come mow their lawn. Uh, It was really overgrown. I was using a 60-70 pound mower that I'd lift in and out of the trunk of my old Ford Fairmont Futura. I I think it was like a 1984. Um, version of it. Uh, huge old sedan. I would lift this giant mower that I was borrowing from my friend Jack. Jack Hodges. Good, good man. And I went and mowed their lawn. And Ann and I would talk pl- pleasantly enough. Um, and they'd pay me cash. And every so often, I'd have to exchange a few words with Cyrus. Now, every time I saw Cyrus, did I immediately think, you beat the crap out of me once? No. But most of the time, Yeah. I really did think that I thought, Hey, you beat me up once, man. One of these days I should talk to you about it or I should say, you know, I never forgot that. Do you have anything to say to me? And it might even be good for him to have the opportunity to, uh, to ask for forgiveness, to, to, to apologize for it. And I would frankly forgive him. I would. Um, because I, not because it was right, not because he's made up for it, because I need that in my own heart. Um, and it's good to be nice to people and, Grace is everywhere. There's grace everywhere. Uh, And even when it's hard, even when humanity or the humanity societies or systems or beliefs say that forgiving is letting people off, it's just not. It's not. It's letting yourself off. So as far as I know and doesn't know, Cyrus beat the crap out of me. Pissed out of me to be totally uh, specific and clear. Uh, But he did. He did. Uh, Mowed their lawn. Didn't talk to him much. I don't like him very much. Uh, today, guess what? He has an art gallery in Kanab. Apparently, it's it's good, doing really well. Good on him. He's a very good artist. I don't like his art whatsoever. Uh, it may be a holdover from my ill feeling that I had for him much of my teenagerhood, um, but I don't like it. I find it overwrought uh, and far too sentimental. Um, please understand, guys, the statute of limitations on what happened to me is far past, and honestly, I believe in a world and in an existence of many stages in life. And I believe that justice will be in my, for, for, for me, in my language and in my, my worldview, the Lord's. So I'm not worried about it. I don't want retribution for him at all. Um, but I'm not going to not name him because that would be silly. He doesn't deserve that. It's not done out of meanness. It's done out of, let's just tell the whole story, the truthful story. Okay. So you can imagine that um, there is anger and bitterness, which I've already said. You don't have to imagine it. I already said it. Uh, there was much more anger and bitterness as, as I moved to Dallas with the angry beans that we talked about and the coagulated congealed uh, hot dogs in them. Um, and Lucia didn't make any things any better by any means um, because she was insane. But there are, there's probably something to say about healing Forgiveness, overcoming the trauma of being beaten, there's probably something to say about that. Are we going to talk about it today? Unlikely. The way this is going, I'll probably need a third episode for it. If I do have time at the end of this episode, we'll talk about it. But for now, it's kind of important for me to talk about my big problem. The big problem that I had was my own temper. Now, I was famous for my temper, guys. uh, Well known for it. Uh, definitely around wherever, whatever branch I happened to live in. Uh, And for the last seven years of my life in the cult, it was in Dallas. Um, Really well known uh, for for the temper that I had. I'd fly off the handle at any given moment for a variety of reasons, often for being challenged on the lies that I would tell, which, I mean, uh, I told lies, so people knew that, and I didn't like that, and so I'd get really defensive and lose my temper. And uh, then I would be just terrible. I'd shout or just kind of get shrill or something. My temper was was well known, as I've said. Uh, that I'm not proud of that whatsoever. Uh, I would get into shouting matches, um, and I would try to win them by getting loudest. Uh, I'd threaten violence. Um, things like, I will beat the crap out of you, or I'm going to kill you, or something, which is a terrible thing to say. And granted, we're kids, and so we we just kinda of give in to, you know, the words that come into our brains so that we can land a punch, even if it's just a verbal punch. But it's not okay to do that, and we can't entertain that kind of thought, because it just gets us hardened and it gets us callous calloused in our hearts, and we start to see the other person as an object for hate instead of as a human being. We see them as an object of attack on us instead of as another human being with their own problems. And then that means that we get an excuse to treat them poorly, like not a human, which is never okay. And it's hard for kids to understand that. They can understand it sometimes philosophically, but in their hearts in a way that makes them change their behavior. It's difficult. And I understand that. And so I don't blame myself. I just wish that I had been better about things. I will say that it's possible that because I was beaten, um, and really never got to process it properly because I didn't really know how, that may have affected my own temper. It may have added to a deep-seated feeling of powerlessness that I had uh, growing up, uh, which could absolutely contribute to a major temper problem. Um, I lost my temper a lot at uh, colleagues who I didn't get along, or peers I didn't get along with, fellow cult orphans, you could call them, uh, and, other, and also with those that I did get along with. With the twins, uh, we hung out a lot, and I definitely lost my temper at them with Mark and Manuel and then Isaac as well. I uh, certainly lost my temper at them. Um, anytime somebody would act like I, had, I was lying um, or I was uh, prevaricating or I had done something that I hadn't actually done, I would just lose it. Um, and part of that reason was that I, by the time I was about 13, maybe 14, I had decided to no longer lie. I swore off it and was trying to go clean. And was doing pretty well, but boy, I had a reputation, and so people were going to assume that I was telling untruths, or by today's standards, alternative facts. That's right. Okay. We're not going to get political here. One time, I did a terrible thing, and I'm not going to talk about um, the overall consequence of it, but I am going to talk about what happened in my heart. In my heart. So, uh, one of the young men I was growing up with, uh, named Tim, going to name him because I know he wouldn't mind. Um, Plus, he's got a different name today, mostly. We got along really well. Uh, I don't know why. It might be because he was a really good man. Really good young man. Sweet, smart, kind, unassuming, unjudgmental. uh, Very interested in interesting things. Really loved board games. Loved role-playing games. He was the dungeon master and game master for all the role-playing games we did in the cult. And then when we left the cult, really sharp brain. um, He was voracious for detail and rules. And that's why he won every Axis and Allies game that we played, he and I. Because he knew the rules better. And also he loved it more. And I did it for the interaction and because I really liked being around him. And I liked the games too. But that was definitely secondary or even tertiary as a reason for me to play those games with him. Played chess, got my butt kicked all the time with Tim. Um, played a lot of strategy games. Risk, Shogun, that wonderful Japanese version that's kind of a lot like Risk or access and Allies mixed together um, and other games as well. And he always just beat me. I never, I never won. Uh, and I was a glutton for punishment going back all the time and we played and played and played. There was a time one time Um, so my bed was on the top bunk of a metal bed. We were on the downstairs main floor of Dixie and my bed was sort of tucked into this alcove of the large room that I think six or eight boys were all sharing. And, um, I got on the top bunk by clambering on the one, one end and just flopping into bed. But interestingly, and kind of conveniently for me, a fun situation for me was that the wardrobe that had been brought in for us to store some of our clothes was just a little ways away from me, so I could actually store things on that. It was like my own personal shelf, at least part of it. Uh, and we were commanded to keep the, that area clean um, and clear most of the time. Uh, so I would just, you know, put a flashlight up there and a book up there during the during the uh, the nights while I was sleeping, um, or when I was getting about to get to bed, and or I was done reading or whatever. But for one, three, or four day period, maybe it was a week period. Uh, Tim and I, we played Axis and Allies, one game for that whole time. Big, epic, epic game. Uh, I think we might have skipped a day here in there. there, like, Like one day we'd play like on a Monday, but we weren't able to play Tuesday. So Wednesday we'd play. So we would actually very carefully lift the board game or the game board with all of the pieces, full whole cloth, and we'd put it up on top of the wardrobe to be stored and waiting for our next opportunity to play. That was really fun. Um, And Tim, again, uh, just a generous and good man whom I miss. Uh, He's a good dude, and I don't get to see him nearly as often as I'd like to. He's got a great, beautiful family, and I am just so delighted for him. Um, I wish nothing but the best for that guy. He's always been really sweet, really sincere, really family-oriented. And his dad, Damon, boy, his dad introduced me to some really cool music. I think I first heard Huey Lewis in the news in Damon's trailer. I definitely heard Spike Jones for the first time from Damon, Um, Warren Zevon, just an excitable boy, and Roland the Headless Thompson gunner guy, uh, and send lawyers, guns, and money. I heard Warren Zevon for the first time from Damon. Uh, Damon was a genuinely neat dude, and he was Tim's dad, and it really rubbed off. So Tim and I got along real well, um, and Tim was really an unusual guy. Um, Very tall, physically capable, although quite skinny uh he loved athletics he boy he got into basketball and he got pretty good He got into volleyball got really good he was fast runner uh just altogether a really um adept guy uh it it was i don't know if it was important to him to be good at stuff but he was good at everything he tried it seemed like to me uh unfortunately one time when we were playing dodgeball or kickball or something else he broke his collarbone Uh, now just to rewind a little bit So when I say we were playing, I don't actually just mean the boys. We boys, we did play a lot of games there at that house called Dixie. But as faith school attenders, faith school being the school that we attended, started and run by the cult, uh, yeah, we would have PE. Now, PE was a mandated part of the curriculum uh, by Texas, as well as because they said we should be active. So that was fine. And one, uh, we did many activities. They used to do... The gauntlet before I even got there, which was apparently some terrible, cruel practice of having um, two rows of kids facing each other with like a ball or something to whip them at somebody. Uh, and then the person would have to zoom through that that, that gauntlet at getting smacked or thrown or have balls thrown at them. A little bit like dodgeball, but you can't dodge very far when you're between two pretty close together rows. Uh, and so other games that we would play was kickball. I really liked kickball. If you don't know what kickball is, think baseball, but with a soccer ball. Everything is the exact same as baseball, but it's with a soccer ball. You roll the ball as hard as you can to pitch it. And the batter, uh, or kicker in this case, runs up and boots the crap out that ball and tries to get a home run. And you can, you get thrown out of base and everything. You can slide into base, all that stuff. We would just um, go to a park there in Dallas somewhere. I don't know where the park was with the baseball diamond. Uh, And sometimes there were... Uh, bases, and sometimes there weren't. If there weren't bases, we'd put a shirt there, or a sweatshirt, or something, or a jacket, or even a shoe sometimes, and we'd play. And Tim was very good at kickball. Boy, that kid, when he got some height on him, he was able to boot the ball really, really well. He made it sore. I was terrible at it. My timing was just always off. Um, One time, I caught the ball, one of his kicks, and that was one of my greatest moments of athletics growing up, (laughs) at least from when I was about 12 or 13. Uh, we played dodgeball, we played um, soccer, uh, we did some swimming for quite a while, although I never got very good because I didn't really get over my fear of water until I was in my uh, boy, uh, probably my late teens, probably 18 or 19. Um, and so one time, I think playing it was playing kickball, he slid or he ran to catch a ball and Tim broke his collarbone. And... You know that was kind of an exciting thing for a lot of us. Like, oh, he broke a bone. No, something exciting's happening. I mean, that's how kids are. I mean, that's absolutely how kids are. You you can't say they're not. Uh, and and yes, we were cult kids, but we were also kids. He got a uh, his arm put in a sling so that he wouldn't move his collarbone much as he was trying to heal. But you know that was it pretty much, just immobilized arm. One day, Tim and I got in a big, bad fight soon after he broke his collarbone, arms still in a sling, and I don't remember what we were fighting about. We were arguing pretty angrily over something. We were in the room that I shared with the twins, but that was also sort of a kind of a a room for general activities. I think you'd call it a family room or family space these days. Uh, So it, it it did double duty, and I punched Tim, not in the face. I never punched anybody in the face after I was age 10 or 11, um, except for in wearing boxing gloves when and that didn't hurt so much. Uh, I punched him, not in the stomach. You know what's coming. I punched him right on his shoulder, the one that had the broken collarbone. I was a terrible person. That was terrible for me to do. And it was because I just really was angry at him and he wasn't listening and he needed to listen to my brain. Anger, anger, anger. It was a fit of temper, uncontrollable and terrible. And I'm very sorry for it. I wish that I hadn't done it. Punishment came and we'll talk about that possibly in the next episode or in the next episode that isn't about my big problem. So I punched him. And he was in pain. It, it, his eyes went wide. His face lost a little color. And he stepped back. And I think that he was probably tempted to just blast me with his unhurt side, which was his right side, and just wail on me with a punch. But he didn't. He showed restraint. That's, you know, I've admired Tim for a long time. And that's one of the reasons that I do admire him. Because he restrained himself despite his pain and anger and the fact that I was being a little jerk of a kid. Uh, He didn't punch me, he did not, he didn't make me into an object, he saw me as a person who was younger than him that he shouldn't punch, that he should protect. Uh, So thank you, Tim, for not punching me back, it probably would have hurt a lot, your big hands too, man. Um, But that was a bit of a turning point for me as I got a little bit thoughtful about what I'd done, realizing how I had actually just tried hard to hurt someone, I did what I could in a very cunning and unpleasant way. Done my best to hurt Tim, a guy who I really got along with well. I got along with him better than I got along with anybody else since Daniel. And so that was not okay. And as I got reflective and honest with myself, I realized I was in a bad place. I was giving into my temper too much, and that was bad. And then to finish that particular realization off, I also lost my temper several times in faith school. I'd yell at the other kids, we'd get in fights during lunchtime. Uh, we would trade off making lunches, sandwiches. Like, man, I could make ten sandwiches in about two minutes down there, just to open a, a jar of a peanut butter. So I'll just make it real quick. You, what you do is you'd open the the loaf of bread, you just put it upside down and and pull the sleeve of uh, the plastic sleeve off, and so you'd have a stack of bread, and then you just make a row of uh, of, of bread that are two, that's two slices high, and then you'd flip it flip the top slice down a little ways, and I'm gesturing with my hands so you can really see what I'm doing. But then what you'd have two uh, two pieces of bread, one one a top and one one kind of above and one of, uh, on, uh, up below it, uh, but not like set on top of each other, in any case. So you could see the inside face of each piece of bread. And I would take a, a jar of peanut butter and get a knife, and I would spread a ton of peanut butter, just go, uh, and then I'd go on, jam, do jam and spread a ton of jam. You'd go through about a half a jar of jam for 10 to 12 or 20 sandwiches. And um, that was how quickly you could make sandwiches there. I'd get in arguments. And I had a knockdown brawl f- argument, not a real physical fight, with a kid. And Bridget finally just snapped. Boy, howdy. You... And she was our teacher. She was the teacher of the, the mid-aged kids, the middle-ranged kids of who were about uh, 10 up to, oh, I I would say 13 or 14, maybe 12. Uh, and it was 13 or 14. And, he, and she took me aside, took me to the front porch of Bowser, which was the name of the street upon which... The house was where we went to faith school, but we called the building Bowser because that was our our habit, as I've mentioned before. And she berated me. She said, you can't be losing your temper like this. You can't do this. This is not how you treat people. It's not a godly thing. She was a very sweet and good person and devout in her own way. Uh, And she was really strongly encouraging me in strong, angry words to stop losing my temper so much. But then she also softened a little and got a little more sincere and started talking and even asking me a couple of questions. And this is where we'll end today. As she was talking, I finally expressed something to to, to her that I'd never expressed to anybody but myself. And that was that I actually didn't like it. I didn't like my temper. I didn't know why I had such a temper. I wanted to find a way to control it because, and these are the words I said to her, I don't want to be this way. I want to be my best me. You might not know what a paladin is in Dungeons and Dragons, but a paladin is somebody who's just so devoted to righteousness that they're full of power of good. And I want to be like a paladin. I want to be great. That was a big moment for Jared. Yeah, third person. Me realizing and verbalizing to somebody who for the moment was quite trusted how I really wanted to be my very best me. And so that's where I'll stop for today. Next episode, we'll talk about what actions I took to become my very best me and how those really did help me uh, heal and overcome the trauma, at least somewhat overcome. I think fully, eventually I've overcome it, but overcome somewhat the trauma of being beaten so badly. Uh, So part three will come up next week and we'll talk about the steps I took. And maybe those will be helpful to some of you guys as you're maybe overcoming your own difficulties or uh, challenges and stuff. Um, Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next time for part three of I Had a Big Problem. Remember, you can sponsor, you can support. I hope you guys don't mind the ads that are in the middle of these. I tried to make them fun. Uh, But that's how I get a sponsor and how I pay a couple of bills here and there. Uh, Thanks so much, guys. I actually am not making enough to pay bills. Let me just be really clear about that. (laughs) Maybe one day, folks. Uh, hey, feel free to have me come out to your Rotary, your school, your um, your business, your company, whatever, and speak to you guys. Uh, I am not expensive. Thanks, guys. Tune in next time. Bye.